You know, if you're like me, and this is sort of one of those common humanity type things, uh, most of us are at some levels creatures of comfort. We find something, we find a person, a place, a thing, a food, whatever, that we like and we kind of settle there. One, because of its own benefit. It is something we enjoy, appreciate, like, whatever. But also over time it becomes familiar. And we like the familiar. It's predictable, right? We, we like to keep unpredictable elements out of our life as much as possible. So, so we tend to stay with those things that we appreciate. We develop a certain comfort around those things that we like and those things that become familiar. You know, sometimes too, when you talk to people that are in less than ideal situations or settings, you will often find that even though they don't like the pain or the challenge they're in in the moment, that de facto they prefer that to the challenges or the pains it might require of them to change that less than ideal setting. I mean, even on an extreme end, sometimes people in abusive situations will choose the familiarity of the abusive situation because they know it. It's not that it's ideal, but I know it and I'll just stay with what I know because in some strange way perhaps it's controllable. I'm aware of that. We've really got to be careful though because sometimes that desire, that love for the familiar and for the comfortable will keep us from the things that God wants for us or from us. Growth is worth having. You know, we say on this planet, <clears throat> if you're not growing, you're dying. Right? Stagnation just means nothing's happened and that's death. But growing always brings pain. It brings challenges. Growing by nature is very uncomfortable. <clears throat> when I was in 7th and 8th grade, I grew 4 inches in one year. And my knees hurt. But you know, that was part of God's plan for my growing up. And for all of us, Change brings certain kinds of threats, known or, un or unknown, perceived or unperceived, and we tend because of that to hold on to the familiar instead of embracing the challenges and the discomfort that growth is going to require of us. We need to be aware of that. We're in the fourth of an eight-week series titled The Church's Family, and we're going to focus this morning on what I'll call growing pains. This is a little different than the three messages prior to this one. This will be a little Bible light. We'll start with some Scripture and we'll finish on some Scripture. But what I really want to do is put our church family in the context of the growth we are now in and facing. So we'll look at some history, how we got to where we are, some of the challenges along the way, and we'll look at some of the challenges we're facing as well. But we'll do it with a biblical lens on the front end. The book of Numbers continues the story of the Exodus. So in the story of the Exodus, uh, we've got uh, all the, the miracles of God in Egypt, and we've got the Exodus itself, and we've got Sinai, and the covenant's been given, and, and the tabernacle is made, and God is dwelling with His people. And that takes about a year. And Numbers starts off about a year after the Exodus. And when we think of Israel, we think of, and the Exodus typically, a 40-year wilderness wandering. But at this point in their history, they had a choice. One year in, God brings them up to the southern border of the land of promise. He's ready to take them in. This is only one year after the Exodus. It's not 40. We talked about Deuteronomy before. We're at the end. We're looking back. 
Numbers were one year in and were poised there on the land of promise on the southern border. So Israel is going to be faced with some growing pains and some challenges here too because they're going to leave that isolation in the wilderness and they're going to go in to the land of promise. And there's nations in that place and there's dispossessing to take place and all these things. So how would they respond to that? If you've read it, you know. And if we were there, how would we respond? Do you think we'd respond any differently than they did? You know, it's interesting, Paul looks back on the Old Testament in 1 Corinthians 10, and he says those, those stories that we read, they were written, he says, for our benefit. And we're supposed to read these stories, and we're supposed to learn the lesson that they didn't get in their trials and challenges to grow. So you see, in a sense, we are doubly responsible. Isn't that great? Just let that settle in for a minute. We're doubly responsible. Because not only is God leading us as He led them, but we see the example of what God leading them looked like. And we see their failures as part of the narrative in Scripture, the history, that God says, don't do that. Here's what it looked like for them. This is what you should not do. Okay, And Numbers, our story this morning is along that line. So they're poised on the land of promise. And consider this just for a second. So God says, I'm ready to take you into the land of promise. And this isn't the first time He's told them this. So 400 years earlier, God had promised Abraham with a covenant. God can't lie to begin with. But on top of that, He makes a solemn covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. And he says, Abraham, your descendants, they're going to be slaves in a foreign land for 400 years. But at the end of that, I'm going to lead them out and they're going to come out with the wealth of the nation that held them captive. When these guys are on the, land, on the border, this has happened to them. They and their ancestors were in Egypt 400 years. It's happened. Do you remember the story? They asked their neighbors and they left with their pockets filled with the gold and silver of Egypt. This had happened absolutely as God had said it would 400 years earlier. And in that covenant, God had said, I am giving this land, the land Abraham was in at the moment, to your descendants from the river of Egypt to the river Euphrates. And he lists all the kingdoms that are going to be there that will have to be pushed out by God and Israel when the time came. So they know this. And part of this promise has already been fulfilled. They've seen it. If you get to Exodus 3, when God came down to Moses, He brought this up again and He said, I've come down to deliver them, the children of Israel, from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to keep the promise. I'm coming down, I'm going to deliver them, and I'm going to bring them up to this land. They're going to love it, flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to do that. Now consider this. A year after the Exodus... They saw the plagues. This group saw the plagues, right? They saw God demolish Egypt and Egypt's gods. The Red Sea parted. God has come down powerfully on Sinai. They know who they're dealing with. They know who they're serving. And so this story in Numbers is a little disappointing. So, God says this. Numbers 13 uh, spoke to Moses saying, Send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm going to give the sons of Israel. You're going to get it. I just want you to know what it looks like and what's there. 
You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, everyone a leader among them. I want you to send a prince from every tribe you've got. I want you to send the best man you've got as the spies to go up in the land. And it gives us their names. And among the 12 tribes and their leaders, we know that Judah sent out Caleb. And we know that Ephraim sent out Hosea, who we usually know as Joshua. So verse 21, they went up and they spied out the land. Verse 25, they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days. And they brought back all this fruit, this luscious fruit from the land of promise. It's evidence of what lies ahead in the land. And it says, thus they told him, we went into the land you sent us. And it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Can you believe the fruit that we brought back from this place? So far, so good. But then listen to what these guys say. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. These are the giants. Think of Goliath. These are Goliath's predecessors. These are the big guys. So we see walled cities, big cities. We see giants. Amalek is living in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites are living in the hill country. The Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. So the guys say, it's a great place. The fruit is great. There's just these few problems. And can you imagine the group that sent them out? These guys have come back and now here's the report. And besides this brief word to, oh, it's a great place, everything they say is negative. Can you hear the the murmur fall on the crowd as they're hearing the report? And their sense of confidence just draining out like water? As the leaders of the leaders say, boy, but... They're inferring, we can't do this. Walled cities, giants, people everywhere, we can't do this. But there's another voice in this group, and that's the one we want to listen to. Verse 30, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and he said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. We should go. Now think of this. Twelve guys, they're all leaders. They all see the same things. They have the same experience. And ten of them come away basically saying, we should just give up right now because we can't do this thing. But Caleb and Joshua, seeing the same things, have a very different response. And Caleb says, we need to go up. We're going to win. He had a vision that was adequate for the challenges of growth before him. And his vision, his faith was informed by God's Word. This wasn't a foolhardy guy that says, I've looked at our resources, I've looked at our army, I've weighed the costs, and we can do this. This is a guy who says, I know what God has said, and I've seen what God has done, and we are well able with this God and His promises to go up and take possession of the land He said He's giving us. His vision, his faith was informed by God and God's promises. That was the difference. You know, you think of later, another guy from the tribe of Judah, like Caleb, is going to look at another giant. Do you remember this story, kids? He's going to look at another giant, one of these sons of Anak, and he's not going to see the giant. He's only going to see the God of Israel, and that the God of Israel has been insulted 
by this pagan. And so David the little shepherd guy is not intimidated by the big giant that no one else is willing to go out and fight because he sees God and God's glory while everyone else sees the giant. So when we look at the challenges ahead, what do we see? And isn't this great? If you and I can go through life and we can live everything with no problems, I can absolutely guarantee we're not doing God's will. I I can absolutely promise it. Because God's will can only be done by God's power and by God's Spirit. So if you and I say the things that God's called us to, it's all easy and it's great and there's no challenges and, well, wasn't that nice? I, I just guarantee we're not doing what God's called us to. Because God's will requires God's power. That's God's Spirit. Apart from that, we might as well go play chess or something because we're not about God's business. God's business is a challenge to all of us. So, I think I'm getting ahead of myself here. So let's go back to an informed faith. We want a vision adequate for the challenges, the growth pangs, God will have for any of us as individuals, as families, and certainly as a church family, as this church family. Caleb had one, and that's what we want too. We have to have a vision that's bigger than the building we meet in, those who are already in our midst, and things as they have been. Let me give you a little history of Lion and Lamb Church. There's a few, there's several of you here for whom the things I'm saying, they're your history. How many here have been here since the inception of this church? Okay. So, okay. So this will, you, these will be your memories too. But let me just take you back. And this is for a purpose, by the way. Uh, we sit here this morning and we say, this is lion and lamb as it is. And I'm saying, this isn't lion and lamb as it was last year. And certainly not lion and lamb as it was more years back than that. So just listen to a little bit of history. It was more than two decades ago, more than 20 years ago, a group of elders at Topeka Bible Church began discussing and praying about the possibility of planting another church in Topeka. And it was for this reason. We loved TBC. I think we were there 10 years. Loved it. No gripes. No problems at all. It was all positive. Guess what? The church was full. Three services Sunday morning. When we started, there were two. We went to three. We're full. And we just said, you know what? God's vision for His church is not limited by the size of the building on Mulvane. And there's only so much we can do. We think we should plant a church. And so that group of elders had been in discussion and prayer and the whole group of elders went in discussion and prayer about this. We talked about it with the church. It was a slow process. It didn't take place overnight. And out of that discussion, out of that prayer, about 80 to 90 people said, we're in. We're in on this thing. And so out of that, uh, a church was planted. That church exists today as Fellowship Bible Church across town. West, straight west or so. In the first year of that plan, and this is, you know, you talk about growing pains. Let's talk about growing pains. I'll only mention this briefly. Some of you went through the growing pains. I literally, in that year we planted that church, I wasn't sure I was going to maintain, this is not an exaggeration, my sanity. I thought I was losing my mind. I was so emotionally stressed. 
I'd started a business the same year. We planted a church, started a business. I can't remember. There was another third thing there. And Mike was losing his grip on reality. And what we found was we knew there was some known challenges to planting a church. And by the way, planting a church, the enemy's opposed to you and we got to work with each other. Can you say growth pains and problems? Yes. So there's some known challenges that we were facing, but then, wow, we find out there's all these unknown challenges we're facing too. We found we had significant, significant differences of opinion as to leadership and judgments being made. And so uh, about half the church said, we just can't keep going in this direction. So in 1997, 1996, FBC was planted. 1997, about 50 to 60 people said, we need to go do something else. Pain, challenges, trials, right? So with that group, no one had figured on starting another church a year after we'd started a church, right? And so we just met as a group. and We just said, guys, what do you want to do? We'd been in a church years ago before that that had folded. And we just said as a home group, look, we're here for you guys as long as you want. We'll, we'll meet as a home group until everybody is plugged in. So we kind of thought it would be that with this group too. Guys, what do you want to do? We're here for you. We'll do whatever we can you know, until everybody's taken care of. Well, that group came out and basically said, we talked, we prayed. They said, uh, we don't want to quit meeting. We want to keep going. And the truth was, even at that point, with all the pain, with all the challenges, this group said, we already feel like we're family. And we talked about, would you like to plug back into these churches, that church, whatever. It was like, we already, we're tied together. We're knit together. We're committed to each other. Along that same line, there were new vulnerable Christians in our midst. And the questions would keep coming up. What will happen to so-and-so if we don't keep meeting? We're concerned for their spiritual vitality and future. If we quit meeting, what will happen to them? We're concerned for them. And so you, see, you see where this is going. There was a vision to expand Christ's kingdom in the church by planting a church. That group that got together out of FBC said, maybe we don't have a vision for church planting and church growth, but we've got a vision and a faith for each other. We care about each other. And so we want to keep meeting together. That group initially met in homes. I think it was for a couple of years. Uh, we met in a karate center. The wall said kick butt. <laughs> and uh, for about a year, we were the kick butt church. Yeah. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. How many churches can you say that about? <laughs> true. This is not made up. That's true. We landed here, I think it was in 2001. And we used to meet down the hall. Some of you may not have been there, but down the hall and to the right, there's the theater. And the lower area there seats about 80 or 90, I think. And I don't know, maybe another 40 or so up in the balcony. Well, our little group, we, we slowly grew and that area got filled up. The theater was filled up and we're in the balcony and it's really not conducive to a, a church meeting because you're really divided visually. You, can't, you don't even know there's people above you or below you. So we were talking, what do we do next? We, we need a bigger venue to meet. And we talked, guys, it's just like today. We, we've looked for land and buildings for years. This church group has. For you. People come up, have you looked at? We did. Have you thought about? We did. Yeah, we did. Well, it's the same way back then. We were looking at, Lord, what is your provision for us to move? And we couldn't find anything. And one of these new elders 
You know, because they, they think they know everything, right? The new guys, they come in, they think they know everything. So this new elder, Kent Vincent, says, well, uh, you know, what, what do you think about the gym? I'm like, you've got to be kidding. The gym. And uh, we keep looking and praying and nothing's turning up. And, you know, Kent says again, he says, what do you think about the gym? Maybe, maybe we should just try it. Could we just try it? And I'm not feeling it. But, you know, Ken is quietly persistent. So it's like, fine, fine, we'll try the gym, you know. So we try the gym. And it's noisy. We use bleachers. Man, and some of you were here. We had a rainstorm in here. When the bleachers were set up, it was so loud, I kid you not. I was standing over there where the soundboard is on a mic teaching. You could not hear me. This ceiling was so loud with the rain or the hail or whatever it was coming down. And the bleachers were loud and it was not good. And Kent just keeps saying, well, could we keep trying, you know, one thing and another. And so we buy some chairs and we put some speakers up, you know. And lo and behold, I don't know, maybe four years, I don't know, four years later or so, here we are today. You know, for many of you, you come into the gym and this is lion and lamb as it is today. Guys, this is simply the latest version of lion and lamb church. This is just... Lion and lamb at this stage in the life of this church family. This is not how it's been. This is just how we are today. You know, and it's not how we'll be tomorrow or next year because if you're not growing and changing, you're dying and we're not interested in dying. But that's our history. You know, our worship leaders, I don't know if you know this or not, but we try to be intentional in lots of things in the church, that may not always be obvious, but one of the things we ask the worship leaders to do is sing a variety of songs, some of which they don't personally care for, just like Mike didn't personally care for the gym. Did I say I didn't like the gym? I just want to make that clear. I didn't like the gym. Some of the worship leaders, they will at times, they'll lead songs that they personally don't really care for. And they do that because we know that we have people coming to Lion and Lamb whose taste for music and worship may not be the same as our own. And we don't want to be so narrow, so pigeonholed, that someone would come into our church and just feel like they're on another planet. That there's no point of connection for them with this group. We know we can't really be all things to all men, but we want to be broad enough, intentionally so, that someone can come in. Well, there's a sense of discomfort, for instance, for a worship leader singing a genre or a type of song that they don't personally love but you see the discomfort's worth it because we're making someone else feel at home the attempt is to be hospitable there's a vision there's a faith adequate for me to be uncomfortable so that someone else can come in and say maybe god's got something for me here a year ago this church implemented ministry safe and it felt like kind of this formal intrusion into a very informal group formal group we are not right so then we go instituting this formality that now if you were going to serve minors in Lion and Lamb Church, you had to jump through all these hoops. You had to take a test, read all this stuff online, had to do interviews. I can't remember what a sign, sign on the dotted line. You had to commit, basically. And for a lot of people, especially on the front end, it feels like, do we really need this? We don't need this. We know everybody. We trust everybody. But really, we said, you know what, if we want to bring our best practice, if we want to be able to assure adults who leave their children in our care, 
And if we want to assure volunteers who are serving those children in our care here on Sunday morning that they can do so with liberty, they don't have to worry. As a volunteer, you'll always have someone else with you serving those minors. As a parent, you know that your child will never be alone with someone else you may not know well, or maybe you do. In either case, they'll always be with a group in that care. It felt uncomfortable because it felt like this formalism in this informal trusting relationship but we thought it was worth it because it allows us to serve in a way that should put everybody at ease and it allows us to grow going forward you know the truth is guys when you get to a church of about 200 you will not know everyone in it you know we always lament this on church growth did you know this if you're at a church of 200 or a thousand the dynamics at one level are about the same we can only know and remember and interact with a certain number of people at any given time It's a given. So we we often say, well, we don't want to grow because we like things as they are. Well, you'll never develop these relationships beyond certain numbers because it's just the way we're wired. So we're poised. We know that when someone comes in the door, we can say, we can take care of your child. And there's a place for you to serve. And you can do so without any fear or threat. Think of it this way, putting this in the family context again. Young children in a family often feel threatened when mom and dad bring that little intruder home from the hospital. That little foreigner. Right? Because it was just mom and dad and me and now there's Junior, a little girl or a little boy and do I really want my world disrupted? But the truth is, mom and dad want Junior there. They're they're ready to welcome that new member and eventually, Lord willing... You know, the the little child is too. But we want that baby. But there's this discomfort that comes with it. Have you ever had this happen? You have a good friend. And that good friend develops another friendship with someone else. And don't you feel threatened that that is going to cost me? That their new relationship is going to cost me part of my relationship with them? But if we love them biblically, that is, if we want what's in their best interest, can we not on the other side of things say, I'm glad their world is expanded. I'm glad they're encouraged by someone else. They'll get something through that relationship I can't give them because we're all unique. And so it may cost me something, probably will. But that's part of relationships. There's a challenge to us on that on one hand, but there's growth and benefit on the other. We may feel threatened when we talk about moving our physical meeting place. Uh, The thing that I've heard about more than almost anything else is sort of the discomfort when we talk about going from one service to two services. That's generated some conversation. That's generated almost as much conversation as when we went from glazed donuts to cake donuts. You know, that was a big move too. That That was a challenging shift, but... We seem to be doing okay. So, at the end of the day, growth is worth the growing pains and the privilege of participating in God's kingdom and in what Jesus is doing on the earth. And guys, it is a privilege. This is something we'll look back in eternity and be so glad we got to be a part of these things. It's worth the challenge and the growing pains. I want to talk specifically looking forward at some of our walls, giants, challenges, growing pain areas or niches or subjects and and as i do let me let me say this uh, first 
we've had, as elders and deacons, we've had challenging discussions among ourselves. And we've talked about some things are time constraint and some aren't. When we talk about a building, when we say, hey, we need to be in there by May 31st, let's say, construction starts here uh, immediately after school, and that's our date. That's time sensitive. And so we just say, hey, we've got to push, we've got to get a bunch of stuff done. We'll talk about some of that. Time sensitive. That's fine, and, and we'll work through that. Um, by the way, everything I'm telling you from here out will cover in more detail March 29th at the Sunday school meeting here. We'll have handouts, we'll have overheads, and We'll try and cover all the bases there for you. But just to say, on the non-time-sensitive issues, we're in no hurry. And our goal really is to be prayerful and humble in how we go forward. And when we've talked about some things in our own group, it's like clearly we're not on the same page yet. You know, There's a lot of discussion to have here and a lot to talk through. We, we intend, and we are, and we have, we're going forward prayerfully, humbly, and this is the deal uh, with, with unity, that uh, this church, the, the leaders on our meetings, it's not Robert's Rules of Orders, it's consensus, which means we're all on board. Even if I say I'm not really comfortable with that, but I see that everybody else says this is the way we think we should go, there's unity in that, there's consensus. So I just want to say that before we start talking about some of the particulars that we'll be facing challenges and growth pains in. The first is the physical and the time-sensitive one, and that's this church's move to Lion and Lamb West facility, Lord willing, for the May 31st meeting. You know, to have a building, there's a bunch of challenges on the front end. So there's construction to to complete before we get over there. There's quite a bit to do, actually. If you've been in the women's event, the women's conference, the, a lot of work has already taken place. The basement's been torn out, put back together, painted. The mold and mildew issues there are taken care of. Uh, there's renovation to the stage area. There's renovation to the one room off the foyer to make it into a welcome center. There's actually quite a bit of stuff to do, and so we'll be in the process of that. And that's a challenge for guys to get out there on Saturdays or whatever and get the work done. There's also, you know this if you've been through the building, we're going to lose total number of Sunday school rooms, and the rooms are pretty small too, that we're going to. How are we going to figure all that out? You know what, at this point we don't know. And we don't have to till next September. So I'm not, I'm not uh, losing sleep over this one. But that'll be a challenge that we face. There's growth pains again related to the necessity of moving to two services sooner instead of later. Uh, if we average, whatever our average crowd here is on a Sunday morning, that's, that's total capacity at that facility. Actually, a little, little less than that. We're going to have an overflow center in the basement, a big screen TV, a sound system would be a lot better than it was last summer. But just to say, folks, if we need to grow, and I think we do, God wants us to reach more people, we'll have to go to a second service sometime soon. That will be an adjustment. That's a growing pain. We intend to engage architects this year to develop a building plan for that lot. Probably a couple of proposals, in fact. And that'll be another challenge, too. Uh, Kent might want a place that looks like this gym, and, and Mike's going to say, no way. You know, what, What's our common view on what, what do we want in a building going for? You know, that'll be a challenge, too. You like 
one color. I don't like that color. You know, what, what's that going to look like? That'll be a challenge as well. Uh, there's the process of development with all those challenges. Just everything that goes into that. And friends, frankly, there's this too. There is the impossibility of our group raising the adequate funding for a new building. Let me be clear on this. We have said as a group that there is no way this group, based on our history, can build a building, another building, an adequate building for the future on that lot. Isn't that great? But that's our plan. So it's sort of like this. You get to the Red Sea and God parts it or we're toast, okay? That's the deal. And I don't say this lightly. We think this is what God wants us to do. So just like Israel on the border of the land of promise, they say there's walls, there's giants, there's things we can't do. Our group can't do this. And we say as a group, you know, there's things that we think we're called to that we can't do. That's a good thing. That means that when we see a building up behind the current one at 25th and Bell, we'll know God did that. We, we couldn't do that. We'll say God did that. So, so we will be challenged. And that, that's one of the growth pangs. It's one of the growth challenges we'll be facing as we go forward. We'll need to trust God in ways for things we have not had to. That's a good thing. Let me tell you about some of the payoffs. And I say this, my heart goes out to the guys that set up here every Sunday morning. And I'm so serious. We've been here a long time. We've been doing this every Sunday morning. The worship teams and the setup guys can go to West 30 minutes early instead of a couple hours. The musicians can plug in. Sound check. Yeah, says the tech guy. That'll be cool. Even if we go to two services, the amount of time for those guys on site will be about the same or a little less than it is now because we have our own building. This will be a big thing. I'm relieved for those guys going forward. Mosaic and a variety of small groups can meet at that building. They can plan on that no matter what day of the week it is. It doesn't have to be Sunday to say, we know we have a place to meet. This is really exciting. We'll be joining a neighborhood. That means we'll become a neighbor. That means we'll have outreach opportunities that we simply don't have because we're at a facility on Sunday morning only. And part of what we hope going forward, you know, we sit on four acres over there. You know, when you go behind the building, look north, all that grass, that's lion and lamb's land. And some of the things we hope to develop are things like a community garden. Many of you have mentioned that. Some playground because as neighbors in that neighborhood, we want folks to come and hang out at Lion and Lamb Church. We want that interaction. We want to be a good neighbor and we want to be able to have gospel-centered conversation because we're in a place that people can come and meet us and we can meet them. I'm really excited about that. In putting up a new and larger building in the future, we will be able to reach more people. And we really think that's important. Guys, the evangelical church, you know, we say Lion and Lamb's not the same group today it was last year or 10 years ago. Evangelicalism isn't either. And we think that God has called us to do some things not unique at all, not unique at all historically, but is becoming less and less true of evangelical churches. That we think God has put this on our plate since our inception and does today, that we're a church that's meant to proclaim the absolute necessity of being informed and transformed by the truth of God's Word. Say that in any language you like. Read your Bible, meditate on your Bible, memorize your Bible, learn your Bible. We can't be faithful if we don't have the 
fuel of faith, which is God's word. That's, that's a clarion call for this church. It always has been. Men taking up the mantle of servant leaders. Not abusive leadership. Just men doing what God's called us to. What a, what a difference in a country, right? Think of Malachi. When God says John the Baptist would come back, Elijah would come back, and he'd restore fathers and children. In a time and a place in which there's all this fragmenting and fracture, we think men should be providing the servant leadership God's called them to that Christ modeled for us. Discipleship as a way of life for our physical and our spiritual children. That discipleship never ends. That we're discipling each other and those in our midst. That that's part of the call. Where we're at today is not where we should be next year. As individuals, as families, or as a church family. A focus on redemptively interacting with the lost first and primarily simply in making the Gospel message clear to the people God gives us the ability to do so to communicate with. That's the big thing. And along with that, also redemptively interacting with others in service and hospitality. And this is something this church has done a great job of historically. And we think that's our call forward. And being in that church building and neighbors there will enable us to do that better. Uh, The next thing, and the thing that's generated perhaps more discussion than anything else, and I think perhaps a greater sense of uh, insecurity, sorry, challenges, the possibility of church membership. Again, very informal group we've been, and we've talked about formal church membership. We remain in discussion about this. This is one of those things that we said, this is not a time-sensitive issue. We're not going to move on this unless and until there's consensus that we're all on the same page moving forward. Uh, This has been particularly challenging in uh, leadership discussions, but it's also been challenging in the discussions we've had with each other through the church. It's like, why would we do that? And it uh, it sounds negative, it sounds formal, and that's not what we feel or what we think we want. It's a little bit like ministry safe. It feels like this formality being inserted in relationships that we already know and and trust. Let me list a few of the potential benefits of formal church membership. One is a conscientious decision to covenant together with other brothers and sisters in our pursuit of glorifying and obeying the Lord. That can give an even greater sense of purpose, belonging, and solidarity. Almost uh, always, challenges bring the temptation to divide. Um, And to say that we're in something together, uh, hopefully that means something to us. And and for some of us, we might say, we've got that commitment now. It wouldn't matter if we became formal members or not. Sometimes for others, formal membership is the way of, of thinking through and articulating, this is what we're talking about. This is what we're committed to as a church family. There's potentially greater clarity in our relationships as we share the same understanding of purpose and call. Um, we'll talk about statement of faith here last, but <clears throat> you know many people that would come into the Lion and Lamb, if they haven't read some documents that we have, they're all biblically informed, they wouldn't know what we believe as a church. Membership is one of those things in which you say, guys, this is the page we say we're singing from together. It's a great way of articulating who Lion and Lamb is, and what we think God has called us to. And also, in a culture that tends to switch relationships, think marriages, friends, churches, there's this sense of affirmation that we have volitionally, prayerfully, conscientiously said, 
we are going to be the body of Christ to each other, the family of God to each other, and apart from God's clear call to other places and works, we will remain so. You can count on me. I'm not checking out. You hurt my feelings and so I'm going someplace else. I say, no, I'm in this with you. And I'm in this with you until God calls me someplace else and that call will be clear, not because I'm mad and I'm going to pick up my marbles and go elsewhere and play. So that's the thing. It's something we're talking about, praying about. I'd sure solicit, ask for your prayers along that line too. And the last is the amendments to our statement of belief. You know, when you talk about a church's statement of faith, you're talking about a document that's uh, typically recorded and it's not amended or adjusted very often. And Lion and Lamb's statement of belief has had uh, one or two minor, very minor, uh, edits since it was produced uh, probably 10 or 12 years ago. But we're talking about some significant amendments to the church's statement of belief simply because we think we need to be clear as a group on what we do and do not believe in the current culture. So we're going to be talking about, and the, the ink's not dry on this, we haven't finalized edits or anything, but these are the things that we're adding, that humanity exists by God's divine command, not as an accident of nature, that we think we're actually here by purpose, that God created us in His image, <clears throat> and if you remember the language from Genesis, He created us in His image as male and female, and that God intends us to glorify Him in the sex in which we were born, that our identity is tied to that. That's part of the way we reflect God's image. That it was sin that brought death to us and this earth. <clears throat> death on this earth was never God's intention. Things as they are is not the way they were originally. You know, fracture and death in all its forms, that's the product of sin. That, that was not God's original design. Marriage is God's idea, and by inception and definition, it's between one man and one woman. <clears throat> Whatever relationships are legalized in this country, marriage was given and defined by God. And so we're simply saying, we understand, and guys, I'm not talking about any disrespect here, by the way, okay, to people that disagree with us on this. I'm simply saying as a church, we say, we understand marriage is God's idea and this is what marriage is. Other relationships may be many things, but by God's definition, they are not marriages, okay? Respectfully, prayerfully, Okay, but marriage is God's idea. The scriptures are to be believed as given and narratives are understood to be real space and time history and not myth. I won't belabor this point this morning. This is one that gets me riled when I go to conferences and hear evangelicals say the Bible does not mean what it says and narratives are not historical. And apostles were mistaken and God accommodated their false notions when they wrote the New Testament. I'm not on board with that. This church is not on board with that. Some of the benefits, the potential benefits to amendments to the statement of belief. Romans 15.5, we want to be following Paul's admonition. May the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another. That's God's mind. That's what the Scriptures clearly teach. According to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we want. That's what we're after. We're on the same page. One mind, one voice, one accord, glorifying God together. We want to intentionally stand in the stream of the historic faith. 
the orthodoxy of past generations that each generation finds it must clarify and restate again. We want to, in our day and in our time, stand up and say this is the orthodox faith. This comes from Jude 3, that same sentiment. Jude said, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Jude is saying that does not change with time. It remains the same. And we want to say that in our church's statement of belief as well. So, how are we responding to the growing pains in our own life, in our own families, in this church family? How are we doing now? How will we do going forward? This is a little like a family moving from one city to another. The changes we're talking about for lion and lamb, they're, they're big. They're dynamic. They're going to change what we look like. And that's okay. Kent in his announcements uh, mentioned Marvin DeGroff. And Marvin was just one of the... the uh, he was one of my heroes. He was just one of my favorite guys. And I remember Marvin said uh, to me more than once... Uh, he was uh, a difference of opinion, let's say, with his wife. And his wife, Jackie, would say, it'll never be the same. You know, it's like we broke something, it'll never be the same. And Marvin will say, well, that's okay, because we didn't have it right anyway. So it'll never be the same. That's okay. We won't be the same going forward. That's all right. We're not perfect yet anyway. We are trying to intentionally aim for two different things, and there's always a tension between this, but to have appropriate contentment, to be happy, as it were, in our present state as a church family on one hand, but also have an appropriate motivation to see more people brought in to that happy family circle that we call home. We want to do both. We know there's tension there. We are called, and this is what I want to wind down with just on the Scripture. You know, we said of Caleb, Caleb had a vision adequate for the challenges of possessing the land of promise. Why is that? Because he had, his faith was informed by God, God's promises. Guys, we should have a faith informed by God's mandates and promises. And, and I've got bunches I could bring. I just want to close with one. And it's Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus commissioned the church, God's family, before he left. And he said, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. And with that ultimate authority, this is my mandate for you. Now remember, he's speaking to his apostles. It's a little unique because this doesn't all translate. It's not quite apples to apples. So there's a small group of Jewish men in Palestine that otherwise weren't going to go anyplace outside of Palestine, right? To them, Jesus says, because I've got all authority, this is my mandate to you, you go. You go into all the nations, all the earth, and you make disciples. Friends, I'll tell you, most of the folks in the New Testament church did not go. And they didn't disobey God. But many of them did. God doesn't call everyone to go, but He calls everyone to make disciples. We are still called to make disciples. And that means proactive, thoughtful communication with others about Christ and His claims and the Gospel and what that means for them and that God has a better way of life for them than they may be aware of. We still live under this mandate. We are not free to sit on our backside and sit and soak. 
We live under a mandate just as Israel did. God didn't ask them, would you like to go into that land now? He said, you are to go in now. And they said, no thanks. And they lost the privilege of participating. That whole generation died in the wilderness except two. They lost the privilege of participating in what God was doing. We live under the mandate of Matthew 28. We are to make disciples and some of us are called to go to do it. Most of us are called to do it in our own backyard. We are called to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. There's this formal break with who I was and what I was in that baptism. And I say, I'm a new person. I have a new membership in the family of God. That's what Jesus said. To baptize people. This is a conscious decision. This is a public demonstration that I belong to Christ. The church is called to do that. And teaching them to obey all my commandments. This is a process of life long learning and discipleship. That's what we're called to with each other. And here's the promise, and I am with you always to the end of the age. So you can imagine, these are the fishermen, these are the tax collectors, right? And Jesus says, I want you to go and take on the world. What? Leave Galilee? Leave Jerusalem or Judah? Can you imagine? These guys would be like, well, you remember what Moses said? Lord, choose anyone in the world you want except me. Anybody you want. This is the mandate, but Caleb knew he had the promise of God's presence. Guys, Jesus says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We're not laboring to do something we can do in our strength. We have God's mandates to make disciples, to baptize and disciple, but the promise of Christ's presence with us is the enabling So when we're faced with things that are too big for us, that's a good thing because Jesus says, I'm there with you and it's my power and it's my spirit that will bring this to pass. You remember Gideon? I want you to go and take these guys on, Gideon, but your army's too big and it's too big and it's too big and it's too big because you'll get the glory. Guys, when God's calling us to mission, to grow, He wants it to be so big, typically, that we'll know God did that, we didn't. God did that. That's the call. The mandate is bigger than we can do. We cannot change a heart. You cannot give spiritual light to another person, but you can be part of God doing that. And that's the call to us. So, God give us the spirit, the faith, and the confidence of Caleb as we go up to take possession of the land. That's physically and metaphorically. And face the difficulties and labors that lie ahead. And do so in a spirit of faith and confidence. I hope that we all, we're going away, we're saying with Caleb, we should by all means go up and take possession for we will surely overcome. Father, would you give us the faith of Caleb if we lack it today? God, would you enlarge our faith as we soak in your word, as we encourage and exhort each other, songs and hymns and spiritual songs? God, would you remind us how big you are and how small we are so we don't mistakenly think we are going to bring about your kingdom. But Father, thank you so much that you dwell in clay pots like us. And out of these cracked clay pots, Lord, your glory shines. And we pray that through line and lamb today and going forward, Lord, your glory would shine more and more brightly. In Jesus' name, to his glory. Amen.